Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. So let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, yo! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Saturday Morning Rewind. I am your host, Tim Nidell, and let me tell you, it sure feels great to be back because I mean, it's hard to believe this is my first interview episode since like February, I think. Yeah, some a lot of things come up personally that I had to take some time away, had to focus on myself, but I'm back. Back, and I think it's even better than ever because today's interview, I have Floyd Norman. For those of you who don't know Floyd, he is a true Disney legend. Some of his work include Sleeping Beauty, Sword of the Stone, Jungle Book, Mary Poppins, 101 Dalmatians, uh, Toy Story 2 even, Monsters, Inc., and even Mickey Mouse comic strip. And the cool thing is, he actually knew Walt Disney. Of course, he worked alongside of Walt Disney on many projects and knew him personally. And he has some amazing, amazing stories to tell. And not only about Walt, but about his fellow animators, such as Disney's Nine Old Men. And we even dive a little bit into a little bit of a uh, controversial discussion over Disney's Song of the South. Because it's never been released on home video here in America, at least. Because it is still a hot topic on whether or not it should be released. And we, we dive into that. But before I play this interview... I, I want to thank everybody who, who stuck with us during the, the two-month, you know, hiatus, I guess you can say, of the podcast. And uh, even got a brand new iTunes review, so thank you so much. Uh, it's SAS number one. Uh, thank you so much for the five-star review. And remember, you too can leave a five-star review. Just go to our iTunes page and just, you know, takes a couple seconds just to fill it out. We also gained a brand new Patreon family member. So thank you so much, Caitlin O. Great One for your donations and uh, 100% of the donations go towards the podcast and our YouTube show as well. If you want to help us out, just go to our website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com, go to the donation tab and just follow links from there. It really, really helps us out. And speaking of YouTube show, it's going strong. We're we're, we're nearing our uh, 8,000 subscribers. So thank you guys so much for doing that. And remember to check out our YouTube show where we unbox the old toys from the 80s and 90s. It's not merely just an unboxing show, because I've seen unboxing shows on YouTube, and they're, they're boring, and the, the quality is pretty low. Not every one of them, of course, but some of the ones I've seen have been that way. But this is more than that. It, I even hate calling it an unboxing show. This is a retro show where we just take you back to your childhood, just like the podcast does. You know, we talk about old cartoons, old toys... We show you and unbox old toys that we should not be unboxing because they're worth money. But like I say, I'm doing it for you so you don't have to do it. And But it still kills me, though. I mean, we're going to have a Star Wars one coming up pretty soon, and I do not want to open up these Star Wars toys. But I'm going to have to. And I got some He-Man ones, too, that I don't want to open. But it's going to be good shows, so go subscribe. Go watch them. They're amazing. Again, all of our links are on our website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. 
But I guess that's about it for the plugging. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really, really hope you guys enjoy this episode. I love this interview with Floyd. So here he is, the one and only Floyd Norman. Okay, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. So Okay, my time is yours. This is uh, luckily uh, a day where there's, believe it or not, absolutely nothing going on. <laughs> is that a rare thing nowadays for you? It is a rare thing, and it's uh, you know it's it's uh, kind of special, so it's it's nice. Yeah. And so I'm I'm glad that I've got a, a free day. How how do you spend your days off like this? Uh, pretty much every day, I find myself at the uh, the Walt Disney Studio, uh, the DCP campus. That is the campus that's over in Glendale, separate from the movie studio, which mm-hmm. is in Burbank. But I divide my time between both campuses, uh, although more often than not, I'm usually at the Glendale campus where that's everything uh, except film. Uh, The main lot is mainly motion pictures and television. Okay, okay. Nice. Yeah. When did you first fall in love with animation? Do you remember that moment? I do remember, uh, indeed. Uh, I fell in love with animation when my mother took me to see uh, Dumbo. Uh, And this had to be in the early, probably the 40s, when I was a little kid. And I saw that wonderful motion picture with all the the images on the screen, the artwork, the music. I was just enchanted by all of this. And I think many of my colleagues felt the same way. They all fell in love with animation when they were children and uh, knew there was something they wanted to do with their life. Yeah, Dumbo is one of those amazing films that you know, pretty much every Disney movie that came out back in those days holds up yeah. still today. And Dumbo yeah, is definitely yeah. one of those. Right. Dumbo was made during a very difficult time, too. I, I think a lot of people who don't know the Disney history uh, – had to know that there was a lot of pressure on the Disney studio and on Walt Disney in particular. Studio was under siege. Uh, they had lost half their income because of the war in Europe. They were also suffering from a strike. Uh, the studio really faced uh, closing, uh, yeah. faced bankruptcy. And uh, it was Dumbo, really, that saved them. Wow. And what about your um, your talent for art? When did you first discover your art talent? Well, like most kids, uh, you know, I was drawing in school, and I, I like to joke to say, to tell people that the kids who become artists, uh, uh, who become professionals, are the ones who simply do not stop drawing and painting. Yeah, and uh, that's <laughs> that seems to make the difference. A, a young a young girl when I was in in grade school in Santa Barbara, uh, named Gretchen Fate. And Gretchen continued to draw and paint. And she became an artist, and, and I became one as well. But it was mainly because the rest of the kids stopped drawing, and we just kept on drawing and painting. <laughs> and I guess that meant we were odd or unusual or meant to be artists. Yeah, exactly. And tell me about yeah. when you first started working for Disney. Um, how old were you when you started? I was probably... 19 or 20 years old. I was in my third year of art school. Keep in mind, I first came to Disney at age 17, right out of high school, uh, with my little portfolio. And Disney gave me good advice. Uh They said, uh, go to school, learn how to become an artist, and then come back and uh, apply for a job. 
Well, I took their advice. It was good advice. I enrolled uh, at Art Center College of Design in Los Angeles, a four-year course. And when I was in my third year at Art Center, I received a call from the Walt Disney Studio um, asking me if I still wanted to work for them. And I said, yes, I did. Wow. So I dropped out of school and immediately began working for Disney. <laughs> Smart move. Smart move. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You had to have been one of the youngest ones in the art department, right? No, I think all of my, I, I'll call it a class, um, what they would do, they would bring in a dozen or half a dozen young kids right out of school. So we were all approximately the same age, okay. 19, 19 or 20. Um, uh, early 20s was pretty much the age range when they brought young people in, early 20s. Okay. So all of my colleagues, both men and women, were all around the same age. So we were all newbies, uh, most <laughs> of us uh, right out of school. Um, many of us had not even completed school yet, but Disney needed artists, and so we were called. What was the first thing that you remember working on for Disney? Well, that's really easy because the first project I worked on was the daily ABC show. You probably heard of it. It was called the Mickey Mouse Club. I think so. <laughs> yeah, that was the first show I worked on. Wow. What did you do for, for that? Well, what they would do back in those days, um, the young artists would be, um, our position was called apprentice in-betweener. And so... Um, and that was the lowest rung on the animation ladder. Uh, it was a tedious, meticulous job, a mundane job, but a very necessary job, a very important job in the animation process. So all of us would start off as apprentice in-betweeners, and that is doing in-betweens. Uh, people often ask me, what is an in-between? <laughs> well, an in-between is a drawing that goes in-between two other drawings, and that's the easiest way to, to describe it. What the in-between does, it smooths out the action. In animation, uh, the animator is drawing key poses, the key poses that express or describe the action. Mm -hmm. And in order to smooth all that out and to make it uh, flow effortlessly, you have to have a drawings in between those other drawings, and those drawings are called in-betweens. So it is a you know, it's a mundane job, it's a grunt job, but it's a very necessary job in the animation process. Yeah, I and mean, with, without you, there'd be gaps in the animation. Exactly, exactly. So that was our job, uh, this mundane job, to do the in-betweens uh, for the animators. And that's how pretty much everybody gets started in the business. Mm -hmm. And that included people who were going to go on to other jobs. Uh, some of us became not just animators, but some of us went on to become layout artists, uh, writers, uh, uh, background painters, uh, but we all started out as apprentice in-betweeners. Okay. I understand yeah. you did some in-between work for Sleeping Beauty as well early on. Yes, I did. Uh, matter of fact, that was the main reason most of us were called. Um, Sleeping Beauty was in production. It was behind schedule. It was over budget. And Walt Disney needed to get that film completed as quickly as possible. And that was the reason for the big uh, hiring surge at Disney back in the 50s. It was to get Sleeping Beauty completed mm -hmm. because the uh, the film was uh, way behind schedule, and that's why we were called. So it was an opportunity for us to, to begin our careers because uh, the studio was under pressure to finish Sleeping yeah. Beauty. And I don't think a lot of people know nowadays that 
it wasn't a huge success that they actually expected it to be. Very true, very true. Sadly, Sleeping Beauty opened uh, in 1959 to very poor reviews and a real uh, lackluster audience uh, reaction as well. So the film really, uh, it took decades, I think, for the film to find itself or for audiences to discover the film. It is now regarded today as a Disney classic. Oh, easily. Yeah, easily. Yeah. But at the time, um, it was not regarded as a success. Yep. I mean, same thing with Fantasia. I mean, a lot of the older stuff, people don't realize that it didn't really make money for Disney. But later on, it, it gained its audience. That's correct. That's that's true. That's pretty much the way it goes in this business. Sometimes it takes <laughs> it takes a few years before an audience discovers a film or appreciates a film. So it doesn't always happen right away. There's one thing I saw online that I didn't know. I didn't actually know this until recently, just until last past week. It said online that you wrote some of the story for Jungle Book. Is that true? Um, that's the reason I was on the film. That is I correct. I didn't know that. Um, wow. Yeah. I, as a matter of fact, I had purposely avoided the Jungle Book. It, it's really interesting that the film that probably most defines my career is the film that I decided to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> I Yeah, isn't that funny how that goes? I uh, honestly did not want to work on The Jungle Book and purposely um, chose another project or other projects to work on so I wouldn't have to be on that particular feature. Wow. Well, lo and behold, back in 1965-66, the film ran into trouble with Walt Disney. Walt was unhappy with the direction of the film. Uh, he didn't like the story, felt it was too dark too mysterious, too murky. And he wanted a film that was more lighthearted, more upbeat. He got into a big argument with the um, with the writer of the film, uh, Bill Pete, who was one of Disney's finest uh, storytellers. And he and Walt could not come to an agreement on the direction of the film, so Bill Pete quit the film, and Walt needed a, n- a new story crew to rewrite the movie. Well, I was part of that new story team brought on board to rewrite The Jungle Book back in 1966. Wow. I mean, so you added a lot of key elements to the story that we know today then. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I was part of the the new story crew. People often wondered if you wrote The Jungle Book, uh, I don't recall seeing your name on the screen. Uh I have to explain to people who, who don't know Disney that just because you worked on a film that did not necessarily mean you were going to receive a screen credit. Screen credits uh, had to be earned in the old days, and simply working on a movie was not enough to earn you a screen credit. Yeah, You had to prove yourself as a uh, competent storyteller over a series of motion pictures, and only then might you receive a screen credit. Wow. So it was a much, it was much more uh, rigorous uh, in those days. Today, everybody receives a screen credit because it's, I think, required by the unions. Yeah, exactly. So you have caterers and drivers and the, you know, <laughs> any, anybody, anybody and everybody gets a screen credit. But back in the old days, screen credits had to be earned. And they were not earned with just one motion picture. So that's why I do not have a screen okay. credit on the Jungle Book. And also back in those days, he didn't put, put the voice actors in the credits either. Uh, some of them did. I do recall, I think our main voice actors uh, did get credit for the Jungle Book, 
But, you know, there was a time when actors would not receive a credit on a film. And so, uh, and there were many people who did not receive screen credits on, on films they worked on. That was just the way it was back in the old days. Tell me about working alongside the uh, Nine Old Men. Well, I had the opportunity to, um, as I often tell people, and especially my students when I'm teaching a class, that I was privileged to work with Disney's finest. Keep in mind, these were the men and women, that's important to point out too, and women, who made the Disney classic films that I saw as a child. Yeah. So think about that. I I had the opportunity to work with the very same people who made the Disney classic I saw when I was just uh, just a kid. <laughs> and now they were my my mentors. Now I would learn from them. And they were tough taskmasters to be sure. I I tell people don't think because um I was at the Walt Disney Studio was all fun and games. These artists were the top in their field. They were the finest. They were the best. And they demanded your best. So when we went to work for guys like Milt Call, Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnson, Eric Larson, uh, Ward Kimball, Wooly Reiterman, Les Clark, I can name all the nine, uh, <laughs> you had to deliver the goods. They expected you to be at your best, and they did not accept second best. So it was a pretty rigorous training for us young kids, but it was the best training we could have received because yeah. we were learning from the best in the business and who better to learn from exactly. than the people who had created the Disney classics. Mm-hmm. Now my favorite animator of all time is Ollie Johnston. I don't really know much about Ollie Johnston. What can you tell me about Ollie? Ollie Johnston, uh, because of his uh, very quiet nature, uh, doesn't uh, often uh, merit the, the kind of attention he deserves. Ollie was a, uh, a wonderful, uh, talented animator and, and did brilliant work in all of the, in so many of the Disney classic films. Ollie was a, a quiet man, soft-spoken. Uh, you know, everything about Ollie was sort of understated. Uh, a lot of his colleagues were more uh, outspoken, yeah. uh, almost, almost boisterous to a point. Guys like Milt Cole, who was known for his temper tantrums and yelling and shouting. <laughs> Uh, uh, so, so Ollie was, uh, you know, kind of a quiet guy and, uh, you don't, you don't hear a great deal about him because he never exactly. made a point to, uh, you know, <laughs> push himself <laughs> toward the front, but he was a, an extremely talented animator. Uh, some of his, his beautiful work can be seen in Walt Disney's last film, the jungle book, where that scene of the little boy, when he comes, uh, when Mowgli is watching the little girl, when she comes to fetch the water. And uh, uh, little Mowgli is entranced by this girl in the village, uh, so much so that he follows her back to the village. Well, that little girl, that beautiful animation was done by Ollie Johnston. And uh, what a wonderful uh, sequence that is toward yeah. the end of the film where Mowgli uh, goes back to the man village. But that, that's, that beautiful scene is animated by Ollie Johnston. Wow, I love it. Yeah. Tell me about the man himself, Walt Disney. Um, tell me about the first time you met Walt. Well, you know, a lot of us, uh, when we came to the Disney studio as kids, we um, never expected to have any dealing 
with Walt Disney. After all, he was he was the boss. He was the big man. His his name was on the studio, so we never expected any kind of interaction with Walt Disney. We might see him walking around the studio lot, or we might uh, observe him in the hallway. Uh, but most of us were so intimidated. Keep in mind that Walt Disney, even then, was already uh, a living legend. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so so he was quite intimidating just to see him walk your way. You know, <laughs> it's kind of difficult to to describe what it was like, especially for all of us who were very young mm-hmm. and just coming into the business of being able to work for for someone like Walt Disney, who was already an icon in the entertainment business. So I honestly can say it was a decade before I even had the opportunity to speak with Walt wow. Disney. I had been at the studio for 10 years until I finally had worked up the nerve just to say, <laughs> uh, hi, Walt. <laughs> and so you see, it, it took some doing. But uh, honestly, uh, waiting that 10 years was well worth it. Mm-hmm. Because after that decade with Disney, I was granted the uh, the opportunity, and I do mean it was a very big opportunity to work with Walt Disney, something I never expected in my wildest dreams to work with Walt Disney. Yes, I, I had hoped that one day I might work for Walt Disney, but I never imagined I would work with Walt Disney. Tell me about those moments you had with him. Well, people often ask me, what was Walt Disney like to work with? Uh, Because they knew that he could be quite demanding. And Walt Disney, no doubt doubt about it, he was a taskmaster. Uh, He expected uh, his people to deliver uh, the finest, uh, to do their best, to do better than their best. And so he was not necessarily an easy man to work for because mm-hmm. he was very demanding. He wanted top quality. And yet, having said that, uh, I have no problem with a boss wanting the best. I don't I don't see anything wrong with that. For someone who strives for excellence, who wants the very best in everything they do, and from everyone who works for them, uh, I have no problem with that. So, I, I didn't. I didn't uh, approach my job uh, with fear. Uh, I was on board, even though I was a kid. I was ready to learn from what I considered a master uh, in the entertainment business, a master storyteller, and taking full advantage of the opportunity to learn from Walt Disney. Of course, yeah. Who was, yeah, who was one of the industry's finest story editors for me, was just a fantastic opportunity. As tough as Walt might be, uh, if you were in that meeting with Walt Disney, you were a very lucky person indeed. <laughs> I love how publicly you're so outspoken by saying he was not a racist, you know? Yeah, it's just a matter of telling the truth. Uh, sadly, a lot of the stories you hear about Walt Disney often come from people who didn't know Walt Disney. Yep. Never never worked for Walt Disney, in some cases never even met Walt Disney. And so they have all of these uh, opinions and attitudes uh, about a man they never met. Well, for those of us who were there, uh, we met Walt Disney. We worked with Walt Disney. We saw him on a day-to-day basis. We saw how he 
managed his company, how he treated people. So if you want a portrait of Walt Disney, uh, I would recommend you speak with people who knew him, <laughs> not with people who simply heard of him or read something about him because they are not the experts. They, uh, their opinions are not informed. It is just that. It's just their opinion, and uh, those uh, opinions are often wrong. So those of us who had the pleasure and privilege of working with what we call respectfully the old man like to tell the real story. And that real story is that Walt Disney was not a perfect man by any means. Mm -hmm. uh, he drank too much. He smoked too much, no doubt. Yet he treated people respectfully. And I can honestly say he was the finest boss I ever worked for. <laughs> nice. I love that. Yeah. What are your honest thoughts on Song of the South? Should it ever be released? This has been going on for some time, and it's kind of funny you should mention that because we recently published a, um, a book of um, Walt Disney um, holiday stories. I think that's how the book was titled. I don't even have a copy because I, I've, I've got to go pick up a copy from Disney <laughs> Publishing. But, but during the holiday season, uh, we would often write uh, Disney stories that would have a holiday theme and that would feature the Disney classic characters. Um, I wrote a couple of, probably more than a couple of those holiday stories myself. And one of the ones I wrote was a holiday story based on the wonderful, fun, and fanciful characters from Song of the South. Wow. Well, when that book of Disney holiday stories was published about a year ago, uh, Song of the South uh, was supposed to be included uh, in that book, uh, a story I had written that I think what I'm trying to remember the title, if I called it um, Br'er Rabbit's uh, Christmas or Br'er Rabbit's uh, First Snowfall or whatever. Uh, but anyway, it was a holiday story involving Uncle Remus and Br'er Rabbit and all the critters in the Joel Chandler Harris stories. Well, Disney decided not to publish my story. Hmm. Uh, they felt the story might in some way, I gather, be offensive. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How could... A, a Br'er Rabbit, Uncle Remus story be offensive if the story was written by an African-American. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, whatever the case, the Walt Disney Studios, uh, Disney Publishing, decided not to publish that particular story that I think was probably called A Br'er Rabbit Christmas uh -huh. uh, because they felt it might be racially insensitive. Huh. Uh, I don't know how it, it is just a, a wonderful, fun story that a story that I wrote, by the way, that that tells uh, uh, what happens, uh, you know, at the uh, plantation around holiday time when when the two little kids, um, the boy and the girl, I think Johnny and Jenny, uh, when they, um, you know, when they celebrate Christmas and they are, you know, regretting that there's no snow. Because after all, it's the South. There wouldn't be snow in the South. And so Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear, Br'er Fox, uh, I, I created this fanciful story where uh, they actually do get a snowfall at the end of the story. And it's a fun story. It's a lighthearted, uh, delightful story that features Uncle Remus and, and all of the wonderful characters in the Joel Chandler Harris stories. Mm -hmm. uh, it got published back in the 1980s, I believe. That's when I wrote it. Okay. But, it, but in this recent edition, it was not 
it was not published. And that's sad because, again, that ties in with the original question. Uh, it turns out that Walt Disney's Song of the South remains a hot topic uh, even to this day, which is sad because I think it is a wonderful motion picture. I think, too. I mean, I, I'm coming from the, the I'm a white male, you know, so I never saw the racist side of the movie. You know what I mean? Well, the, yeah. Well, well, there really isn't any. <laughs> That's the <laughs> irony with yeah. all of the controversy. There, there is really nothing uh, offensive about uh, about this story. That's what I thought too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's sad. But it, it is still regarded as such to this day. Uh, it, it is a hot potato. It is a it is a uh, a topic that Disney prefers to, uh, I guess, sweep under the rug. Yeah. Because they don't want to deal with it. But you, even you, though even though there's nothing there that that, that I find. Uh, is a problem exactly, and you can't you can't just hide history, you know. No, you can't. No, you can't. And and it is a, it is a beautiful film. It is a uh, a very well made film, and it features some of the finest Disney animation ever seen on film. Yeah. And it is uh, and a wonderful performance by uh, the actor James Basquette, who played Uncle Remus, and even won an Academy Award. Uh, for his portrayal uh, of that of that character, so there are so many good things about Walt Disney's Song of the South, and yet we continually focus <laughs> on what we feel uh, are the bad things. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was watching your documentary that came out last year, An Animated Life, which I love, by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're very very proud of that film. Yeah, I bought it on Blu-ray sometime. I believe it was last summer. And uh, uh, you have to be the most hired and fired person from Disney. <laughs> well, I, I have fun with that in the movie, <laughs> although I don't think I'm all that different from most Disney employees. We work in an industry that tends to expand and contract. Uh, sometimes there's a need for artists and sometimes there's not a need because uh, of of you know, production schedules and, and that kind of thing. So I did find myself sort of in and out of Disney, and I sort of had fun with it when I told that story about my being hired and fired and hired and fired <laughs> and, and, you know, going back and forth. So it, it, it made for an interesting story and a sort of a fun gag. But uh, my plight was not all that different from my colleagues who often found themselves uh, losing a job uh, and then being called back to the studio to work on another job. Yeah. yeah. So it, it is just nature. It's a nature of the entertainment business where our jobs tend not to be steady, uh, where you tend to come and go as production schedules demand. And that's kind of the way it is. I've always been lucky to, um, if I did lose a job, I immediately found uh, another one. So uh, it, it's not a, a story of uh, difficulty or hardship. Mm -hmm. It is just the nature of the entertainment business. And speaking of other jobs, I did not know that you worked on some of my favorite Saturday morning cartoons like Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, Smurfs, yeah, yeah. Garfield and right. Friends. I never knew that. <laughs> a lot of that stuff. Uh, and, and so much of that uh, comes as a result of my losing my Disney job. Uh -huh. <laughs> What happened, uh, I was animating on a Robin Hood, I think around 1972. I know it was in the early 70s. And I lost that job and uh, went to Hanna-Barbera Productions, a company that did Saturday morning television. 
Well, I have to remind people that Saturday morning TV is not like doing classic Disney films. Yeah. Uh, a, a Disney film takes uh, a period of two to three years to complete. Uh, the, the TV shows we did at Hanna-Barbera took <laughs> two to three weeks to complete, <laughs> if, if that. So, so it was uh, indeed uh, a much faster process. Uh, we didn't have the, the budget to do you know, stellar work. There were time constraints because these shows had to be delivered quickly. And so we had to basically hack out a lot of shows in a limited period of time. So that was just the nature of Saturday morning television back in the 70s and 80s when we did, uh, you know, Smurfs and Scooby-Doo and Super Friends and Captain Caveman and all of those shows <laughs> that you probably saw as kids. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but you know, but it was it was a job. It was a fun job. We were still doing animation, so we enjoyed the work we did, uh, knowing full well we were not doing Disney quality work, but we were still making cartoons. And if you're a cartoon maker, uh, at least you're making cartoons, and and so it was still a great job, even though the the work was not as good as Disney. What does Disney have you uh, busy with these days? Well, since I no longer work for the Disney company, and that's <laughs> something that I have to explain to people because I have this long relationship with the Walt Disney Company. I left the company officially around the year 2000, 2001, when I officially retired from uh, Walt Disney Studios after many, many years. And I think the last feature films I worked on were probably for Pixar. I did Toy Story 2 up at Pixar. I did Monsters Incorporated. I, I worked on a film called uh, Home on the Range and a few other things. But I officially left the studio uh, around 2001. Well, even though I left animation, uh, I managed to find work at Disney Publishing because uh, some of the artists over at Disney Publishing said, you had worked on these Pixar films. We're doing a series of Pixar books. Why don't you come and work with us on these Pixar books that we're doing here at Disney? So after being after leaving the studio, I find myself coming back to work for Disney uh, in the publishing department. Uh, not working in film, but working in creating books wow. and uh, material that's, you know, printed, published. So it was, but, you know, it's all still Disney storytelling, mm -hmm. regardless of whether you're doing a book or a movie, you're still telling a story. And so I was right at home doing that. Well, you know, that led from one thing to another. Uh, upstairs in the electronics department where they develop new toys, uh, they were working on uh, a new toy, and I believe it was John Lasseter suggested that he saw me hanging around not doing anything, and he said, why don't you get Floyd to work on this uh, project? And so I ended up working on a toy upstairs in the consumer products division. <laughs> and then I would move over and work on a video game, and then I would move over and work on something else. And I remember... A couple of years ago, they wanted to do an animated segment, uh, a section of the film that was not completed in 101 Dalmatians. And so they asked if I would come back and write that and uh, storyboard it because they wanted to animate this section of film that was not used in the original 101 Dalmatians. So I find myself uh, 
bouncing from one job to the next, even though I am not a Disney employee, <laughs> I still find myself working for Disney uh, in various aspects. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke down at Disneyland. Uh, I speak there often to to the employees and um, do a lot of teaching, a lot of mentoring. Uh, I'm around the studio because I, I guess I try to make myself useful and sort of uh, be sort of a guiding hand to the young kids who are just coming into the business. So essentially what I'm doing is picking up the role of mentor to a lot of the young people. Yeah. The same, the same way the Disney old timers mentored me when I was a young kid just coming into the business. That, that's what I'm doing today. Yeah, that's how I keep busy today. Wow, love it. I'll be in Disneyland in three weeks. Too bad you weren't there in three weeks from now. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, I might be at Walt Disney World. Ah. So <laughs> I'm going to be there, but I'm going to be at the wrong park. Uh-huh. Nice. Uh, there's a possibility uh, I'm going to be making a couple of trips down to Walt Disney World in Florida. Ironically enough, I just came back from Florida and I've still got to go back twice, I think once next month and again in July. So it's funny, even though I, I no longer work full time for the Walt Disney Studios, I still find myself very much involved <laughs> with, with, uh, with Disney uh, in one way or another. I'm, I'm always, apparently it seems like I'm always doing something for them. So that relationship continues even mm-hmm. to this day. Yeah, I love that. So my final, yeah. my final question, in 100 years, when we're all off this earth, how would you like people to remember you? I think, I think what's wonderful about uh, the product we create at Walt Disney Studios is that it, uh, it'll be enjoyed by generations to come. Uh, keep in mind, I watched these Disney films when I was a little kid. And then eventually I grew up and was able to come to the studio to create a new product, uh, to be a part of the creative process. And I know that uh, when I'm gone, that a lot of the work that I've created will be left behind for others to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the great part about what we do. It's, 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 uh, it's not limited you know, by age or, or time. Uh, generations uh, from now, 50 years, 100 years from now, will probably still be watching Disney content because what we create is timeless. It's magical, and it's it's going to be here forever. Amen. Yeah. I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. So, Floyd, thank you seriously so much for your time. This has been a true honor. Like I said, I'm a big fan of your work, so this has been great. Well, thank you very much. Like I said, I often remind people, I said, I am only one of hundreds of (laughs) Disney artists, you know. (laughs) People oftentimes give me more credit than I deserve. I've just been delighted to have been part of the team to create this magic. And uh, what's been even more special is to have been uh, a part of Walt Disney's team to actually work with Walt Disney on The Jungle Book. And boy, oh boy, when you look at a, at a career, you can't do much better than that. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the career I've had, for the opportunities that have come my way. And it's just been, uh, it's just been thoroughly delightful to have been part of this, uh, this amazing company. 
Yeah, thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.